grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey guys, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome tonight. Boy, we're getting into December. It's getting ever closer, isn't it? Uh, I want to thank you guys for coming. My name is Charlotte, and I will be your host for the next hour or so. And uh, I am the owner and operator of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 35 strong up and down the state of California. And we also have investigation teams um, kind of located in Oregon, Washington, Uh I keep reading Nevada and Hawaii. I'm getting senile in my old age. Uh, tonight, I'm going to swing right into this because I heard this guest on another show. I usually don't plug other shows, but I heard this guest on another show. And, um, you know, I'm here alone all the time, so I'm in my studio late at night finding my finding my little guests and stuff. And I'm like everybody else. I listen to these shows, and, you know, I, I, that's how I pick my guests out. So it's kind of fun. But... um she scared me and I don't scare uh, easily. You know, I'm a paranormal investigator. I've been doing it for over 15 years and I'm not someone that scares easily, but listening to her tell her story about getting this house and, and what, what went on scared the hell out of me. And I can tell you from the perspective of a paranormal investigator that does residentials, you know, we go out, we have a questionnaire, we sit down. Usually it's in the haunted location with the client. Very, you know, very seldom, unless there's something really horrible, horrible going on in the house, do we do it like at a Denny's or someplace, you know, or, or someplace private. So, you know, we'll sit there with the client and, and you'll go in and you'll, you'll, you'll talk with each individual in the family because you want to get each side of the story, you know, because you don't want people like building up on each other's stories and that kind of thing. This is the kind of investigation. We've had a couple like this over the years where when you're sitting there interviewing the client. And you've got your notebook out, you know, you're kind of filming it. People are walking, you know, part of your investigation team is walking around the house doing their, their EMF measurements and stuff. This is one of those investigation things where when you're talking to the client and they're describing what is going on in the home and what they've experienced. Okay, and you've got to remember you're, you're, you're trying to stay on the level. You're trying to look at everything objectively when you're out there. But this is one of those cases where... As the client is describing what has gone on in the house, you're trying to look over your shoulder and look off to the side and look behind the client without the client noticing. Because as they're telling their tale, you can feel the chills. So um, I wanted to have Lynn on because this 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 really affected me as an invested as a private person and an investigator because my house is active. But it's not like the like what she experienced, but I still live in an you know in an active house, so it's interesting you know it's it's an interesting story to hear, and I think you guys will understand what I'm talking about once we get into talking land. So without further ado, hello, hi, how are you? I'm doing okay from South Carolina. You're on the other side of the United States. Yeah, way over. I'm really, really happy to be here. I'm so pleased that you invited me. Thank you so much for having me on. Sure, no problem. 
So uh, tell me about you. Um, I've been a nurse for 35 years. I also have a degree in biological science. Um, the last 17 years of my nursing has been mostly um, in geriatric and end-of-life care. Um, <clears throat> I have three children, two children during the time of the haunted house and a late-life baby at 46 after the haunted house episode. And um, I, I, you know, I grew up in, in Florida. I grew up in a haunted house. Um, we lived sh uh, four blocks shy of a hospital that was next door to a nursing home. And then on the other side had Indian mounds over there. So we, we were seeing, even as a child, seeing these things, these people walking through with patient gowns on, you know, and, and those sorts of things in our house. So, um, yeah, I, I, um, I, that's how it all started. Wow. Um, now, building up to this, had you gone through a divorce or something? You know, because it was just you and your kids at the time. I did. Um, I had been financially devastated uh, due to a divorce, and I actually bought a single wide trailer that was like 20 years old and fixed it up to brand new. But it was all that I could afford at the time, and rebuilt my credit. And so I started looking for a house. Um, I had a realtor taking me around regularly for almost a year, and it seemed like everything that, that was within my price range as a single mother either was near a stinky paper mill or, you know, had a, had a something at the end of the street that was, uh, you know, a, a, some kind of a dump or something there, or it needed a lot of renovations. And so when this particular house came on the, the market, my realtor called me and she said that she, her colleague had just come from the house um, taking pictures and it wasn't even listed on the MLS yet. Huh. So um, she said, in this house is in your price range and it is too good to be true. Well, of course that should have resonated with me because uh, it, it really was too good to be true. So I met with her <clears throat> within the hour we drove, we drove over to the house while we were driving. I'm looking through the papers. It was a 2,400 square foot split level house. So you would go in with the foyer and then you'd have the stairs that would go down or the stairs that would go up. Three bedroom, two bath, fresh breakfast nook, formal dining. It was a nice house. Mm -hmm. And I kept insisting, you know, are you sure this is the right price? I mean, a house like this on a dead end street, a Florida flat lot, which is hard to find in North and South Carolina, because we have the mountains and the hills. And, um, I, you know, I had her call back and check to see because that house could have easily have sold for $100,000 more than what the people were asking. And it was also uh, moving ready. Apparently, the people that had owned the house, um, I was told, moved out because they had to transfer to another state for work purposes. So um, when we went over to the house, um, we went in to the, uh, the front door. Uh, actually, again, let me back up. There was this thing with the lock on the door that was, there, there were two, there were two demons and a young man in the house. And I will tell you this, I spent two nights there. I was never able to move into that house. It was so haunted. Um, 
it, it just was that bad. I'm trying to fix myself here so you can see me without covering up my mouth. Um, sure, no problem. Yeah, it was haunted that bad. I never was able to completely move in. And it wasn't just me that saw them. There were multiple witnesses. People got attacked. I couldn't keep workers in the house to finish the work until finally I, uh, the fourth person that I had come, he was stoned all the time. So, you know, he had his minions with him anyway, and they were part, he was part of their fan club. So they didn't bother him. But um, um, I had people seeing them at the same time that I saw them in the rooms um, and things like that. But um, the house was in East Flat Rock, North Carolina, which is, which unbeknownst to me because I lived in Florida is a very haunted area. That whole area has had a lot of civil war went through there. You've had some Indian things go through there. So there's a lot of angry spirits there. And the one thing that I learned about um, this whole thing is that it's not about the age of the house because a brand new house can be haunted. It's about the age of the ground that it was built on. And you don't know what was there, you know, three or 400, 500 years ago. Um, you could be laying on somebody's burial, you know, precious burial ground. So, mm -hmm. um, and that was one thing that I learned because a lot of people think, you know, oh, old house, you know, history is probably haunted. Yeah, the brand new ones can be too. You, if you, like I said, if you build it in the wrong place, but, um, when we when we got to the house, she kept having the, the realtor kept having trouble with the key and the and the lock. And um, um, I'm using I'm, and I apologize. I'm using my cell phone because my camera wouldn't work on my my computer. Sure. So um, <clears throat> anyway, we she, she couldn't get the lock to turn. She thought that maybe the 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 wrong keys had been left in the lockbox. So. Uh, every time it seemed like she would say, oh, well, I'm going to try one more time. That one more time, it would finally let her put the key in and then she couldn't get it out and it wouldn't turn. And then finally she would turn. Finally, obviously, she got the door open for she stood there trying to get the key back out while I, I stepped inside. And when I walked into the foyer out of my peripheral vision, um, I saw the image of a young man hanging in the house. And, um, you know, even though I grew up in a haunted house, um, that back back in the late 60s, early 70s, that definitely tells my age. I'm almost 60, so um, it just um, you know everything was about the Joneses and what the Joneses you know would think, and so you didn't want to have the fact that your children could see things they get out you know in the house in the neighborhood because you'd have the men with white coats coming. So it was squelched by my parents, even though my siblings and I were able to, to see, you know, the things in, in the houses and also um, religion. My mother, we grew up Presbyterian and my mom took a, um, um, a little venture with Jehovah's Witnesses. So, I mean, I was taken in front of the elders and told that I was seeing demons and that I was to die in the fires of hell. And I mean, all of these things at 10 years old, I mean, scared the bejesus out of me. So I started to deny my ability and did pretty well denying it and when, they, when there would be times that i would get gl glimpses through of course i wouldn't tell anybody i learned not to do that but um <clears throat> so when i went into this house i caught the glimpse of the young man and i had been so used to denying what i was seeing that i, I was very good at it so i'm like so i looked directly at the spot and of course there was nothing there i mean there wasn't even furniture in the house there wasn't even toilet paper in the house so there was nothing in there and um so i continued to venture up the stairs and and i know we have an hour and a half so 
Um, obviously, I like the house. Um, there's a few things that happened, other things that happened while we were there. Um, but um, so I asked if we could come back later on that evening um, and bring my kids so that I could make an offer. I wanted to show it to them. And uh, is it OK for me just to continue telling? What yeah, I'm go ahead. OK, that's fine. So anyway, um, we did um, on the drive back. Of course, my kids are all excited and we get to the house. And again, it's that key in the lock thing. And we finally get inside. And my kids are running up and down the hallway, picking out their bedrooms. And then they come up and um, ask if they can go look downstairs. And I said, well, of course, they were back up within five minutes. And my daughter, who was 13 at the time, came up to me and she said, Mommy, I do not want to live in this house. And, it, you know, at first it embarrassed me because here I am standing next to this realtor that's been dragging me around for a whole year trying to find a house. And my teenage daughter decides to not like the house. So at first I asked her, I said, what did you say? And she said, there is something really wrong, really, that, that very, is making me very uncomfortable with this house. I do not want to move here. And I just thought, you know, she was being a 13-year-old that was now realizing that she was going to be a distance away from her bestie and things like that. So I'm like, well, this isn't a decision for you to make. I mean, we've been living in a single-wide trailer for all of these years, and that trailer could fit four times in this house if you stack it on top of itself. I said, how could you not, you know, like this house? So obviously... Um, we called in to make an offer and found out that somebody else had made an offer that day. So it was crucial that I made a good offer. And obviously I ended up getting the house. Um, I, I, um, the, uh, very, uh, at the closing, um, the people selling the house were late getting there. And, uh, when they came, um, it turned out that they hadn't moved out of state. They had only moved 20 minutes away to the in-laws house and they were still working at the same jobs. So, you know, I didn't want to question it. I was thrilled to get the house. I thought maybe they had financial problems or something, but the one thing was, is that the wife would not look me in the eye. She stared at her feet the whole time that we were there signing papers. And um, I said to her, I said, oh, I'm going to be putting wooden flooring in. And she just said, oh, that's what we wanted to do. But she stared at her feet while she was, you know, telling me that. So um, we got the keys. We went over for our first night. I brought out in taco makings to, to have a floor picnic. And my kids, of course, you know, went in the house and put something to mark their territory in their bedroom. My son put his baseball bat in his room. And um, I'm cooking. And my daughter comes into the doorway of the kitchen and she says, what did you want? And I said, I, I didn't call you. And she said, yes, you did. You called me twice. She said, and I answered you and said that I was coming. She said, so what did you want? And I said, well, I heard you answering, you know, um, that you were coming, but I thought you were talking to your brother. And then my son comes in and peers in from underneath her arm and says, mommy, I heard you too. So it had already within a few hours had been able to mimic my voice and it knew who we all, what our names were, um, that I was the mommy person. So, you know, I'm in denial and I'm telling, rationalizing uh, there, you know, Brittany's a popular name and there's probably another Brittany in the neighborhood and her mom's out calling her kid home for dinner on the dead end mm -hmm. street. And so, and I'm sure you, that you'll meet this person and that she'll make a nice friend for you. So, 
of course, my kids went out after dinner and were trying to get attention from the neighborhood kids. And um, I was pulling up carpeting at the time because I wanted to have wooden flooring put into the house and I wanted to save money to be able to purchase higher quality of wood. So I did a lot of the work myself. So we left that, that night and I took my kids to school the next morning and I returned to the house by myself. And of course now I'm having problems with the locks. And when I finally do get in, I take, I go upstairs to the upper part, take my purse into the kitchen to put it on the counter because there's still no furniture in there. And um, I noticed that the oven light was on, the interior oven light was on and the stove light over the oven. And as I then started to walk through the house, there were every single light that could have been turned on was turned on in that house of the ceiling things. And I thought, you know, this house sold so fast. Maybe a realtor came in after we left last night and showed the house and didn't realize that, you know, it had been purchased or maybe somebody in the neighborhood's been entrusted with a key, you know, maybe we'll, you know, I'll, I'll you know, I'm going to go across the street. So I went across the street and I introduced myself to the neighbor and I asked if they knew if anybody in the neighborhood was entrusted with a key and they said no, and they welcomed me to the neighborhood, and I, you know, said that I bought the house. And so I went back over, and I continued to pull up carpet, and I was unloading boxes, putting them up against this door in, in, the, uh, in the garage. And um, the day went on, and I left, and I went to the house this time, made sure every light was off when I left. So um, I ended up coming back again the, um, the next day. Um, to uh, I, I wanted to put a fresh coat of white paint on the ceiling. The house was built in 1976, and it looked like it hadn't been freshened up since that time. Um, also, I wanted to say, too, I purchased the house in March, and we weren't going to move in right away until the summertime. So because I wanted to have some renovations and things done, and the kids only had eight more weeks of school in their own school, and I didn't want to you know, take the chance of having records get lost or something. So we would just, we were going to commute and let them, you know, finish out their, their school year. Um, and so um, I went back myself and I, I brought the WD-40. I was soaking that lock. So, and which I did and it worked smoothly. And um, actually I back, back up on that. I did bring the WD-40, but the thing was, is when I put the key in the door, the door just opened inward. Oh. And I thought to myself, you know, I was having some trouble the day before getting the deadbolt to turn. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, I kind of had to reach in and do the hand lock. I thought, well, maybe, you know, I didn't have it pulled in the door jam all of the way. But then when I came in the house with the paint, I, I went to the sliding glass doors to open them to let some air in because I was going to be painting. And that was unlocked. Yeah had the little key dangling to the side. And I thought, you know, maybe one of the kids ran back and did it, or maybe I did, I thought I did, but I didn't. So then I went downstairs to the garage to open the garage to haul some more boxes in from my car and the garage door was unlocked. But of course, you know, I'm a female. I got that little clicky thing on my visor and I don't know how to lock a door. You know, you push the button and it opens. Mm -hmm. So um, that didn't really register with me, but I had been piling boxes up on five foot nine and I'd been piling boxes up in front of this door in the garage where there was a workshop. 
And when I glanced over at that, that door was unlocked. The chain was dangling on the side. And I'm like, there is no way that that door could have, somebody had to have been inside of this house and unlocked that door. They would have had to have moved all, all of the boxes away and they would have had to unlock it and then shove everything back where I had it. So I was pretty sure at that point that if somebody had a key. So back across the street, I go to the neighbor's house and I made mention to them, I, you know, were there any kids in the yard last night? Were there, what, did you see anybody come by after we left? And they said, no. And the, um, the wife went on to say, she says, I'm not trying to be a nosy neighbor, but I noticed when you left yesterday, you doubled back from your car to go and shake the, um, the doorknob. Mm-hmm. And I had forgotten about doing that. And um, so it was insecurely. And I, so, you know, I kind of just let it go. I went in and I started, you know, painting things, little things happened. My kids knew about them, saw them. My dog wouldn't come in the house, but the very, things kind of started to amp up uh, the very first night that we um, spent there. And this is over an eight month period that I owned the house. So this is the first sleepover that I, I, took my kids with two queen size blow up mattresses and my daughter wanted her friend to come along who was also named Brittany. So the two Brittany's, um, and, uh, the, the friend Brittany woke up at around two o'clock in the morning and wanted to go home. And I mean, what kid, you know, at 13 wants to leave a sleepover at somebody else's house and usually up all night giggling, but apparently she had gone to the kitchen according to my daughter to get some Oreos and something spooked her and she wanted to go home and she was serious about wanting to go home. They came in and woke me up at about three o'clock in the morning. And um, I ended up having to have her call her parents, you know, to try to comfort her so that they wouldn't have to drive 25 minutes in their pajamas and me either. So then the morning came and I took the kid, it was actually on a school night. I took the kids to, to school and dropped them off. And um, so at that point, I was having workers come in to, um, to try to get them to put the wooden flooring down. And I had one guy come and, you know, then he didn't come back. And But he had a good reason. He was where he was in between jobs. So, you know, okay. Then the second guy came. He left his DeWalt tools. He never came back to be paid. And when I finally tracked him down, he said, oh, well, somebody was in the family was in the hospital and he hadn't wanted me to leave his tools outside. So, um, but he never came to pick them up. And then <clears throat> the third guy was a friend of mine's cousin. So I actually got to find out with him what was happening in the house, which I'll tell you a little bit later. And then, of course, the fourth guy that I had mentioned. But um, things, I, I couldn't remain in denial anymore once we spent the second night there um even though i still was rationalizing i was finally you know looking for help uh, it was my daughter my son and i we took the dog the dog would not go in that front door um, i literally had to carry her in the house and she ran bolting from door you know everywhere looking for an exit she clawed into the drywall of the room downstairs um, hmm. because i felt my my kids told after the fact about you know, um, the, a demon coming into the room, um, presenting itself, and my dog, and the door was shut. So the dog was trying to scratch out around, you know, the doorway. And so um, they, um, 
you know, the night, the night went on and everybody was okay. My son took bath he had on his little uh and thomas or blues clues or something pajamas that he was wearing but they were shorts and a shirt and um then they settled into bed and i'm like you know i've got so many rooms started but nothing finished and i really want to have a room that i can go into that's finished so i decided to work on the master bathroom because i could knock that out in about two hours ceiling paint everything and so i did and it was about 11 o'clock when i finished my kids had drugged their mattresses into the master bedroom and they were sleeping on the floor with the dog in between. And I went down the hallway to the kitchen to clean out my, my paintbrushes. And um, when, when you exit the kitchen there to your right, there is a wrought iron railing that is over the descending stairs. Um, that's actually the wrought iron railing that I saw the young man hanging from. And I will say yeah. that a neighbor who had lived on the street way before even the, the road was paved, um, confirmed that there was a young man in the very, or the original, um, the people that built the house, his son um, did hang himself in that stairwell and the mother came home and found him. So um, anyway, um, so I, when I was coming out of the kitchen, um, I'm passing that railing and I see this dark, thing coming up from coming up from the lower floor they went up the stairs and across the white double and uh, across the uh, double entry doors and up the ascending stairs in front of me and shot down the hallway i was frozen in my tracks i was scared beyond the point of wetting my pants i'm like what on earth is that it appeared dog-like it had a narrowing to its nose, but it had very large um, openings like a horse that took up almost the total end. It had ears on it like a rabbit, but they were on each side of its head like the FTD man, and they were turned backwards grazing over its shoulder because it was kind of hunched. And I am five foot nine, and that thing was up on its haunches. Its feet were fluttering underneath very quickly. It was probably about five foot seven on its haunches, just a little bit shorter than me. And I'm starting to rationalize. I'm like, okay, I've been painting in the bathroom with the door shut so I wouldn't bother the kids. And so I've been the fumes, you know, dinner, I might be have low blood sugar. Maybe a motorcycle went under a street light. You know, I'm trying to rationalize it. And then all of a sudden I hear um, my dog growling at the end of the hallway, of course. Um, you know, snapped me out of my, what I was thinking about, and I went down to see what, what was the matter. And when I went down there, she was standing in the doorway, fixated on the doorway with her hair up on her back, growling um, ferociously. And um, I tried to pet her and, you know, calm her and soothe her. And, and she put you know, her ear back for a second, but she would not take her, you know, focus off of that door. So I finally took her outside. And again, had to carry her inside. And she ran in and nestled down between the kids. And I finally crawled in bed with the kids too. So the next morning we wake up and I asked my daughter, I said, how did you sleep? And she said, I didn't. And she said, I said, well, well why not? And she said, well, because I felt like something was watching us all night long from the doorway. And when my son got up that morning, he had bite marks on his legs. He wow. had three bite marks, one on each side, 
one towards the back and one near the calf. And they looked like dog bite marks, but they were smaller than, I had a little schnauzer um, and she wasn't prone to biting, but it, it, her mouth would have made bigger marks, but you could count the teeth, they were purple. And I said to my son, I said, Austin, what what happened? You know, you've got bite marks on your legs. And I asked, did Sally do that? And he's like, I don't know. And he's touching them, you know, kind of trying to figure, you know, he, he's looking at them. He didn't even know how they happened because they happened during the night. So um, anyway, um, I, I got the kids gathered up. We, um, we then left. I took them to school. And, um, you know, I... I I was working a Baylor shift on the weekends. And so, you know, you kind of step away from that and you start to think, oh, well, you know, it's such a nice house. You're just being silly. There's really nothing wrong. And if there is, you can get it out, you know, type things. So um, when um, the worker came that was my friend's cousin, <clears throat> he was putting the flooring in my son's room on the same day that I was there. And... Um, I'm in the hallway painting and he's mm -hmm. just on the other side of the wall from where he is at. And I turn and I see this young man, brown hair parted down the middle, white Oxford shirt, jeans on, loafers, kind of 80s style, walking up the stairs. And I mean, out of my peripheral vision. And it was so, I mean, it's, he's, he was as solid as I'm looking at you. And when I, I, I thought, well, you know, I turned, I said, did you not? Because I thought maybe I didn't hear him knock or maybe he was some person just walking into the house. But when I looked directly at the stairs, there was um, nothing there. But I could see like a wavering to the air. It, it, it looks, I mean, it, it looks kind of like gas fumes or the fumes on a hot road that waffling in the midair. So I knew that there was a spirit there. And I'm like, oh, okay, so the house is haunted. But the thing was, is when I asked if uh, the guy had knocked, the, the, the young man in the bedroom answered me, says, no, no, I didn't knock. Maybe I dropped something. But so anyway, that day I left. Um, I went to pick up my kids at school, and I get a call from the guy that's the, my friend's cousin. I can call him Bobby in the story. Um, <clears throat> Bobby um, calls me, and he says, I have to leave. He says, I have to leave right now. There's something about this house. I've never experienced anything like this. I have to leave. And then the line dropped. Hmm. So it took me about um, a half an hour, about an hour, half an hour to an hour to get back of him to find out what had happened. And of course, finally, when I get him, he says, um, oh, it was nothing, you know, but I'd rather be there when you're there. So, um, but I wasn't going back because it was a Friday. It was butt up against the weekend. I had to go to work Saturday and Sunday. And he left so quickly that he didn't secure the house or close the windows. There were windows, they, they opened like, like, like this. Instead of the up and down windows, you had a crank and they would open kind of like a door. And so it had to have like a special size air conditioner and things in it to, um, and it needed to have those pulled in because the um, the over the part, the screen wasn't put in and bugs and stuff come in there. So um, so I asked my next door neighbor, Ellen, I said, would you mind going back over to the house with me? 
um, I need to secure the house. And uh, she says, no. And I said, plus, I wanted to show her the place. I hadn't had her over there to show her yet. And she was my friend. So we got in the car and I'm telling her the story about the young man on the stairs. And I said, do you believe in ghosts? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, hell yeah. You know, I believe in ghosts. And I said, well, I appreciate you going with me um, if you are uncomfortable going inside with me, then um, I'll get the neighbor across the street to help me pull in the the um, air conditioner and you can just wait in the car. And she says, oh, no, I don't mind, you know, going in to help you. So um, we get there and I'm having trouble with the key in that lock. I This time I'm the one trying to struggle to get it to turn. It almost broke off. And we finally get the door open and my friend Ellen steps into the foyer and she makes uh, a, you know, a cocky comment and she says oh you're not going to leave me here and let the boogeyman get me are you well that was mocking and they targeted her so when we went into the house we secured everything we pulled um the air conditioner in and uh closed up everything made sure everything was locked and um i was doing a wild horse theme in my my daughter's room and i had these hand carved um horse heads to to drape her valance over and I wanted to show them to Ellen. So we're in the kitchen and she's got one in each hand. And um, while we're standing there, I hear this sound coming up behind me, which I had heard once before when I had been exposed to the second demon. And it sounds like a didgeridoo. That's a wah-wah, but kind of static with the, the sound. I, don't, I mean, that it, that's the closest I can get to even describing the sound. And I didn't say anything to Ellen because I didn't think anybody heard it but me. And all of a sudden she says, what's that sound? And I said to her, I said, you remember I told you that there were ghosts in the house? And she says, oh, yeah. So she's holding the horse's heads, one in each hand. And all of a sudden she starts screaming. Um, She drops the horse's heads onto the counter and starts pulling her shirt. And she says, what is it? What is it? A spider fight? She says, it's, it's hot. She says, what is it? Something bit me or something's wrong. And I lifted up her shirt and back and she had a four inch claw mark between her shoulder blades, even partly underneath her bra strap. And as a medical professional, um, you know, an initial wound will melt and bead blood. It looks like a cat scratch, one single cat scratch, but that, that does not happen again even if you bump the scab off, you know, at another time, it doesn't, you know, reoccur. So I knew that the wound was fresh. And I asked her, I said, what did you do? Did you, you know, scratch yourself on the, the corner of the car window getting out? Or And then she starts screaming again. And she says that this time, she says, it got me again. It got me again. And she had a claw mark on her stomach off to the side below her belly button. So there was like this this foggy wall, this this basement smelling fog that was literally from floor to ceiling that was coming closer and closer to us. And I started screaming out, calling on everybody. I called on Jesus, Buddha, you know, Jehovah, whoever, you know, I, Mother Mary, I, I was calling on everybody to make the things um, leave from the room. And I had Ellen leave to go to the car first so that I could, you know, lock the door, but I didn't spend a lot of time, you know, locking the doors because I figured if anybody wanted to break in, have at it, that house could handle itself. So that night I came home and um, I started looking through the yellow pages online for 
for help. I'm like, okay, there's ghosts and demons in my house. I'm sure, you know, that I can find some church group or somebody, you know, that can come and help me get them out. And I started calling down the list of the yellow pages and I called just about every church on there and most of them referred me to the catholics and the ones that didn't would tell me that uh, the reason why i was having that problem was because i didn't attend their church and if i attended their church i wouldn't be having that problem or they made uh, comments about the fact that i was a single mother and that i must be promiscuous even though i hadn't been out on a date for a very very long time and focused on my children so finally i had to go to somebody that knew me because when you go to talk about this kind of stuff you know people still think you're a little crazy so um i spoke to um a, a presbyterian minister that did know me and um he went to the church to see if they would help and he came back to me and he said you know what the bible thumpers scare me more than those things in your house do so i contacted a paranormal group in georgia um it was uh, led by andrew calder who has since passed away and he had him come out to the house while the Presbyterian minister was there and they did um, they did a blessing and during that blessing I was attacked I was the weak link um, I had this hot hot lash go against my forearm it felt like it was cutting to the bone I gasped and put my hand over and I was afraid to move my hand that blood was going to start gushing everywhere and when the priest came over and put the cross over it, it immediately stopped. Huh. Um, so um, he he was there for hours. He blessed the yard. He blessed, he crawled up in the attic. He went everywhere. He, I mean, he was almost the whole day. And he actually went there the night before and he did the, um, the, the EMF or EF, EF, what do you call it? The, um, the, the readings that, that you do. Um, um, he did that. He, we actually got pictures of the ghosts in the house, so um, he so that he would know what he was up against to come back the next day because it's a little bit different for a demon versus a ghost. You know, everybody runs to get sage. Well, if you got demons in your house, sage just pisses them off. It does mm -hmm. not do anything but make them move away for a few seconds, and then they come back with a vengeance. You, you got to use something stronger with them, but it works well for cleanup. And it also works well if it's just like a, a harmless, you know, spirit in your house that you're trying to um, help cross over. So um, anyway, um, obviously that didn't work. Um, I had multiple um, denominations of religion come over there to do things. And um, also, I, you know, I was going to work and I ran across my, my friend and I asked her, I said, um, Hey, you know, would you please ask Bobby what happened? You know, in the house, why he never came back? I said I have a feeling that it has something to do with paranormal, and um, and so she said that she would. And and in July, he visited her house, and you know, he had a few beers, and he was feeling talkative. So she asked him what happened, and he started to tell her that while he was putting in the wooden flooring, he was sitting on a, a little bench that had wheels. And he had a, um, a mallet, a trowel, and a block of wood to put the, it was a tongue and groove adhesive uh, flooring. And um, he went to reach for his tools and they weren't there. So he thought maybe he had rolled over them. So he's scooting and checking. And when he turns, 
he can see them wind up in front of the bedroom door, just one right in front of the other, paralleling each other. And at first, he, you know, he's like, well, you know, I didn't do that, but they're there. Maybe Lori came and Lynn came in and uh, played a joke and, and maybe she moved them. And so he got up and he was looking out into the hallway for me um, and picked up his tools and kind of spooked him. So he turned the light on and he had a battery operated radio that he turned on and he sat back down and started to put another piece of the flooring in and all of a sudden the light turns off and the radio then turns itself off and he can hear the tools scooting behind him as he turns wow. his head in his peripheral vision he can see them like feel like lining up and he said that he couldn't get out of the house fast enough he was telling my friend so I actually got to find out why nobody stayed there past 2 p.m. every day um, but um, just to go back, when I came home after my friend um, Ellen got clawed, um, I, I did reach out to, like I said, the paranormal group. But that that uh, particular evening, I didn't know that my daughter was awake and she overheard me talking mm. on the phone to my sister about what had happened. And so she came out and uh, she says, Mommy, she says, I know what clawed Ellen. So now this is the first time that I'm, you know, coordinating this story with with now my children she says there are two monsters and a young and, and a young man in the house and she started to describe what she had seen she told me about the incident with the dog um and um i mean i even at one point had her take a piece of paper and draw what she saw and i drew what i saw and they were almost identical so um anyway um so i started having the groups and i was sure that you know we could get the things out of there which you know everybody tried but um the young man was released during um one of the uh, the very last lady that came she was um part indian and um uh, you know some of the things that she talked about were off the wall but so off the wall that they made sense to me mm -hmm. because of the situation that i was living in you know um it was the first person that, that made sense so um the thing about it was is uh, uh, she brought a friend with her and she brought a man with her to help her. And when they pulled into the driveway, um, she said that if my house had been built three feet over from where it was, that it would not have been haunted. And she said she started talking about ley lines and some other tunneling thing. And she said that my, you know, where my house was, that the house caddy corner across the street was haunted and the one behind it would be haunted and in the eight months that I did own that house um the house that was caddy corner to mine was a rental and um it literally had three sets of people move in and out of there in an eight-month period so something was wrong with the house and I'm assuming that it was that but um anyway um oh and also the neighbors across the street got a huge archangel michael stick statue and put it in the front yard facing my house so because I did tell them it was haunted um, so anyway um, um, finally after there were so many clearings my mother went with me she got attacked I mean it was just all of these things that, that kept happening um, after they the Episcopalian priest did the clearing we we thought that the house was cleared enough to take the children back because once I saw that once the claw marks happened, I didn't bring my children there anymore until I, you know, they said that it was clear. So 
took my kids over and again a friend came along this time with my son and um i was putting gasoline and in, in the um lawnmower to mow the grass and the little boy comes down to the bottom of the stairs and he's wincing and grabbing his neck and i'm like what what happened did you get hurt you know did you get scratched by the tree or something and he says no just when i got down to the bottom stair something just hit me and i said i said let me see you know she's he's holding his neck he's wincing so um i um i look at and there's nothing there but then he starts to retch and i'm like oh boy okay that was a dead giveaway um so i had him go get into the car i put the lawnmower back in the garage i called my kids and i said do not come down through the stairwell because that that one wolf demon um, messed with the locks it ran the stairs up and down um, there was another one that looked kind of like a gargoyle looking thing um literally i mean it but it had long gangly legs and it would sit crouched like a frog and it would rock back and forth um kind of like bumpy things on its head but anyway um so my daughter didn't hear me say for them not to come down the stairs and so she did come down the stairs and she gets to the bottom stair and she's like out and she could not hardly walk her you know her ankle was bothering her um she said you know i don't know what happened i didn't twist it or anything but you know i she, you know she almost had to crawl to get into the car so i get them into the car and we drive off and as we're getting off the street and around the block everybody's kind of starting to feel better and i called the priest when i got home and i said look that house is not fixed you know they, it, there's it, my, my kid's friend got attacked my daughter got attacked in the house today by the demons and he and i said i'm you know i'm gonna i'm gonna sell this house i'm not gonna stay here and he said oh no 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 you have to stand your ground it's your house in the name of jesus christ they need to be told to leave and i said to him i said look i'm a single woman with with two kids and having to deal with criminals at large is one thing but having to deal with things in the house that i can't see you know my kids that they come to me uh, there's something under my bed better in my closet there might really be and how can I protect them if they come running in to be with me and I'm scared because the covers are being pulled off you know so um, I told him I said I as a mother I cannot put my children through that so um, he, he did recommend that I had this Catholic priest that was also lined up by the, um, the Presbyterian minister come and try one more time to clear mm -hmm. it out so I went over, I picked him up. Um, this poor guy, I brought him to the house. He was so frightened that he was trembling. He almost dropped his Bible. He literally spent maybe 10 or 20 minutes in that house. He went down, he squirt holy water in the rooms, said a few scriptures, and he was ready to go. And I think that his emotion they fed on, which even made it worse. Than, than better because he was so obviously frightened. And um, so anyway, I drove him back and he literally almost fell getting out of my car. He couldn't get out of the car fast enough and did not say one word to me, you know, going back there. But um, so I finally had enough. I ended up moving everything back into the single wide trailer and uh, of which I had sold, I had 30 days, but uh, I had to, to give the people their money back, you know, um, so 
um, I, I, um, my mother and I had gone to the house to, um, I, I put it up for sale by owner and my mother and I had gone to the house to kind of stage play the house because we had people the, the day before that they wanted to come and see the house and I made the call we were in the home. So the next day when my mom and I go over there, she said to me, she says, Lynn, did you, you know, tint the windows? And I'm like, no, why? And I look at the windows upstairs and you can't even see the divisions of the vertical lines. And I then look down at the level uh, windows and they are covered in flies. They were covered halfway. Flies, that is an actual event that happened uh, that cover was an actually event by the way um uh, an event that happened when my son was sitting in the master bedroom toilet and saw that coming through um at him he actually helped design the cover to be exact um and but the thing is is he said this is it i'm not ever speaking of it i mean he is 23 years old and to this day he will not sleep without the light on at night after mm -hmm. having the experience and he's got some post-traumatic stress from what they went through even if that little bit of time in that house but um anyway um so um my mom and i you know were like oh my god you know where did all these flies come from we expected to go into the house and have them you know swarm us but they were actually all over the windows trying to get out themselves and i mean these were big flies there were no hatchlings there was no evidence maggots the toilet was flushed there was no garbage no chemicals the house was spotless there was no food nothing in there to lead them to all of, i mean millions of flies in there on every window upstairs and um like half covering downstairs and there was a set of windows in the breakfast nook area that had been painted shut and um the screens didn't have any defects in them um, and there were, there were flies actually caught between the window panes and those screens. I had to take the screens off to usher the flies into the house in order to shoo them out the backsliding glass door in the front kitchen window. And my mom and I are frantic because these flies now brown excrement all around the uh, molding around the windows and these people are coming any minute. You know, we don't want them pulling up and having all these flies there. So... Um, it just so happened that the woman had called and canceled that day and wanted to reschedule for the next day. And I didn't get the message until I noticed that they were about 20 minutes late. Um, so in my car, we made arrangements for her to come um, the next day. And um, so the next day, my mom and I, we go there two hours early this time to make sure that there's no problem. And we go into the house and there was no problem. Everything was so um, the people come and they have three children. They brought their two youngest children with them. Um, the other one wasn't with them. So um, again, you know, it was a similar moment when I brought my kids. They're running down the hallway, picking out their bedrooms and that sort of thing. And then they come up and they want to go downstairs. And so they're given permission to go downstairs. And within about five minutes, they're back upstairs and their eyes are big like a deer in headlights. And I hear the little girl say to the, the little boy, Tommy can have the creepy room. I'll take the smaller room because one of the bedrooms upstairs were smaller. And of course, everybody wanted them bigger. But I knew I could not sell it. 
people that had children um, mm -hmm. at all. Um, I ended up selling it to a retired couple that came up from Florida. Um, I did attempt to tell them about the ghost for anybody. I want to make that um, there was an incident where we were leaving the house, going out the front entry doors. I was in front of them. I overhear the wife saying to the husband, uh, why did you push me? And he's like, I, I didn't push you. You know, I didn't touch you. You're, you're three steps in front of me. I, you know, I didn't do it. And she said, well, I don't know what happened then. And so she um, came out the door and uh, my conscience, I, I couldn't do to them what had been done to me. And I told them, I, I said to her, I said, do you, um, you know, do you believe in ghosts? And they said, no, no, we're Baptist. We don't entertain that sort of thing. We don't discuss that sort of thing and we're protected. No. So I'm like, okay, you know, if they had asked me, I would have told them the truth. So um, they end up buying the house. Um, it, it was about six, six months later, I was coming down the interstate and I had, and this goes into my second book, the second book that's um, being sold through my website only. Uh, the other one you can get at Amazon, Walmart, everywhere. But this one is through my website only, www.lynnmoney.com. And it's called Omnipresent, What Happened Next? And it, it tells the story about how I drove past the house and there was a, a for sale by owner sign in the front yard six months later and my radio blared as I was passing by the house and couldn't get it to turn off or turn down until I got off of the street. And so, um, you know, my heart just sunk because I, you know, I had hoped that maybe they were protected. You know, maybe they would have a good life in that house. And I'm assuming that they were moving because there were issues. I don't know for sure. And I sure, certainly wasn't going to pull up and ask. So, um, you know, I because I didn't want to be anywhere near that house. But, um, I, 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 you know, I thought maybe the blessings or something might have had a residual effect and that these people could live in this house. Anyway, um, I... Start, I was curious then at that point, and I decided to look up the people that sold me the home. And um, so I went through the county records because I'm like, you know, those people couldn't stay there. I most certainly couldn't stay there. These other people are being forced out. You know, I, I wanted to know. I wanted some, some validation. So I went through the county records and found a couple of people with a similar name, and I sent out some snail mail, and I finally got a call back from the man um, who sold me uh, the house. And, um, you know, I, I, said, I said to him, I said, you know, did anything, you know, peculiar ever happen in the house? And he's like, well, what do you mean by peculiar? And I said, well, the house is haunted. And he says, the house is haunted. And I said, yes. And I said, um, it is haunted. And I started to tell him a little bit. And he says, well, I think you need to talk to my, my wife so he um I so I asked if, if he would have her call me you know and so I waited a little while I didn't think she was going to call finally I get this phone call and she's crying on the phone and she's apologizing for selling us the house and she told me the reason why she and her husband were late getting to the closing was because they were having a fight when she found out that I had children she didn't want to sell the house to me Mm -hmm. So um, she and I started to compare notes note on some things. There was this one bedroom, the smaller bedroom. It had this, this coating of, of dog or some kind of feces. It was 
smeared like glaze all over the um, the floor in that room when the carpet was taken up and she had confirmed that she had to clean up feces in that room before putting the carpeting down. And so um, we started talking some more and she told me that that house almost ruined her marriage because it was mimicking voices. Um, her husband was working midnights a couple of times and he would hear knocking on the master bedroom door and her voice, you know, responding to him and he would get up and get angry. And of course she was at work. She wasn't even home at the time. So he would accuse, you know, the water would get left turned on, the electricity things would be turned on and off. And the thing is too, is the kids, they had a four-year-old little girl, they had a six-year-old little boy and the little girl kept showing up with bruises and um, scratch marks on her, like those cat scratch marks. And um, the mom would ask, you know, and she, you know, and the girl would talk about to the, 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 the invisible people that nobody could see. And of course they thought at that age that that was normal, but the things that she described were really gruesome, um, you know, beings. So they were a little bit concerned, but the, the little girl, one day that she was asked by the mom, she said, the things downstairs don't like me you know they the the one the wolf thing scratched um, her and then um a little while later the uh, son comes home from school with a drawing of his you know that he's in kindergarten or first grade and they say draw a picture of your house and your family and so he did and in this picture he draws his mom and his dad and his sister and their dog and the mom but then off to the side there were these three uh creepy things Things. And when he was asked what those things were, he says, oh, those are the monsters that live downstairs in my house. So the kids were seeing them and the kids, um, you know, finally, uh, they ended up moving back into the in-laws house. They even were holding a church service in the house on the weekends a couple of times. They moved in and out, in and out for about six months before they decided to finally sell it. And they actually held it for a year. Um, I don't know why um, they kept it for a year, but you know, it, they, it was like me, they were hoping that something could be done mm -hmm. and, and it wasn't. So um, when she and I got off the phone, I had asked her if it would be okay if I called her again, you know, to touch base if ever I had any more questions. You know, I told her since I didn't own the house, you know, I'm not legally going to do anything. I just wanted to know. And um, of course, when I tried to reach out to her at a later time, her number was changed. But um, it just, uh, yeah, you know, with the ability to see those things over and over again, you get used to seeing them. And so it came, it came in as almost a gift and very, very handy in my line of work, um, especially when people are passing away, being able to see the, the, um, what's happening on the human physical side, and also being able to glimpse into the other side is the veil of faces between the dimensions and seeing the loved ones on the other side preparing for the transition of our loved one from their physical body into their spiritual state. And um, so I've also written a book on that that's going to be coming out in December, uh, probably towards the end of December. And I'm hoping that that book will um, bring a lot of um, comfort to people with terminal illness and people that have lost a loved one um there's so many there's actually a beauty to to death that people miss out on um 
when this happens and I've seen it happen again and again because I've seen a lot of people pass away but um a lot of times people will start talking about seeing people that are dead you know grandma mm-hmm. starts seeing uncle joe that passed away five years ago and everybody in the room with her is freaking out because they can't see uncle joe and uncle joe's really there so but they're getting the drugs for hallucinating don't get the drugs for hallucinating just say hi to uncle joe you might be able to communicate with him there's a window of time during the time that the um that the veils efface that you can physically communicate with the other side through the person that is passing over if you choose to you know but you have to stay neutrally uh charged so to speak you can't go you know and be crying because uh when these beings come in their 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 energy is much more rapid is higher than ours and it can exacerbate the situation. And that's why even too, when you're calling on somebody in prayer to help you with something, you, they kind of have to send other other um, ways of, of helping you in for a while until you calm down. And then they can you know, come in and, and help you once you're in a more neutral state because they don't want to make the fighting worse or the sadness worse um, in those cases. But um, yeah, I'm hoping that that book is called The Colors of Heaven, Beginnings Never End. Um, it has a section in there on drug addiction and um, um, demonic possession and mental illness. Um, I did do a, a rotation. See, you're getting some extra stuff I didn't tell on that other one. So um, it, it, I, when I went back to school to, to get uh, to um, further my degree as a nurse, I did rotation through a psychiatric ward, actually a couple of them, because it was my my nursing psychiatric class. So uh, we went to this one place in particular, and there was a young girl that was in there. She was about 21 years old, and um, she was in the intake area. Uh, and she looks at me, and she says, she points at me, and she says you can help me. I know you can. Well, of course, I'm like looking over my shoulder thinking, God, I hope she's not talking to me, you know. So um, fortunately, the teacher came in and she's like, don't make eye contact with anybody. She ushered us out of the room into the other area. And then I got to go back with one other nurse. We actually had to sign papers that if we got hit or harmed in any way, that we wouldn't hold anybody responsible because that intake area a lot of people were coming in and their meds weren't balancing them yet. But anyway, what I learned from that, which I found to be very interesting, is that um, being back in there, they had wooden uh, picnic tables that were bolted to the floor. And I was sitting at one with the other nurse. We were doing our charting and the young lady comes over and she sits down and she's telling me the story about how when she was like 10 years old, she was molested by the minister in their church for several years. And then her mom got remarried and she was molested by her stepfather. And so she ran away at 16 and became, you know, a, a devil worshiper, which she knew that that wasn't, you know, the right thing to do for her either. But that um, she is hearing like 25 different voices and that one of them has a long claw that is even scratching her side of her vagina. And I'm looking at her and this girl, she had on a tank top with spaghetti straps. She was covered in these claw marks, these single claw marks inside of her ear, in her nose. I mean, they were in their back in areas that she wouldn't be able to reach. 
and they were insisting that she was doing them to their to herself. And I recognized the the claw mark. I'm like, no, those look just like the ones on my friend Ellen. You know, exactly like the ones on them, the Ellen. And I'm so I'm I'm like, you know, it, it, she she's not doing to herself there's some issue with with um demon or some something here so she was called away to go for her psychiatric um appointment with her psychiatrist and as she got up to walk away because i have the ability to see interdimensionally she got up and she started to walk away and it looked like she had um two sacks thrown one over each shoulder with it looked like grape clusters or but they were bigger more like potatoes so like misshapen potatoes and some of them were inverted with the eyes at the bottom sometimes even with orbs when they present they'll present with the eyes at the bottom and the mouth Mm -hmm. at the top and i'm looking at her walking away and i'm like oh my god she really is hearing 25 voices she's got attachments she's got you know she's carrying around 25 voices so it, it, she doesn't, you know, it, and they, she was in there being treated for, for schizophrenia and she was, you know, over medicated, talking very slowly. So I, I um, when she came back um, at the time, you know, um, I was dealing with uh, taking care of my mom at home who had cancer. And I didn't really feel that I, I would be able to help this young woman. I didn't want to have anything following me home either. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I go into her room and I just, something just came over me and I grasped the top of her shoulders and pulled them off. I threw them to the floor. I stomped them into the ground. Of course, a few of them did roll away and she had some clustering around her bed that she had been sleeping in. And I told her, I said, when you leave here, you've got attachments and they can get back on you. I said, Mm -hmm. but you need to go and find somebody that can help you remove these attachments permanently. So I left. About a year later, I'm in Walmart. I'm picking out some shampoo. I see these two young girls at the end of the aisle, and I this one's pointing, and she's looking at me, and and she's like, "I know that's her. I know that's her." And I thought, "Well, do I have toilet paper on my shoe, or maybe they recognize me from my books?" And the young girl walked over, and she said, "Do you remember me?" And I looked at her, and she looked familiar, but not you know, completely. Um, and she said, you were the nurse that came in and then it hit me. Here she was, she was slender, had beautiful hair and makeup on, looked completely different than the girl that was in the medical facility. And she said, and I did what you said. And she said, and I'm only on, you know, anti-anxiety meds. Well, she says, I am off all of that medication. Thank you so much. And she was going to school to be a beautician. So I was very proud of her for that. But after seeing that with her, I started doing what I call look, look. And I was walking through the facility, looking at people to see who had archons on their back. And some of them, they had archons on their back. And 95% of them were people in there diagnosed with schizophrenia. Now, I'm not saying that people that, you know, the pink elephants that climb on the wall, those people need medicine. But the ones that are hearing voices that are people, it it could very well be um, some kind of an attachment instead of um, instead of that. 
So, um, but I started walking through and I mean, I, I would see the archons. I mean, that some of them look like spiders. Some of them look more reptilian um, looking. Um, and the, uh, there were like three different types that, that I would see that I started to notice. And I could kind of pick them out. You know, that one has it, that one has it. So I'm hoping to, you know, shed some light on that. Um, as well as, you know, with drug addiction, you know, people, when I was first writing the book, The Colors of Heaven, Beginnings Never End, and I got to the part why I had to talk about souls that do not cross over, it took on a little bit of a darker coloring, and here's this beautiful story about heaven and, and loved ones and afterlife, and now, you know, we're going into the dark. So, so I I decided to follow up with the omnipresent what happened decks to talk about what happens when, when souls don't cross over. The ones that don't cross over are the ones in your house that are haunting your houses. But the thing about it is, too, that I learned is that when they don't cross over, they still have their emotions. They still have their illness. If they had it, they still... Uh, the cause of their death shows. So if somebody's had their head cut off in a car accident or they've died of cancer, it kind of looks like Swiss cheese in whatever area that they've, that they've had that, that they've passed away from that. Um, you know, it all shows. And their addictions, they still have the cravings. So with my ability to see, if people could see what I see when I walk into a sports bar, um, or walk past the area where the smokers are out on their cigarette breaks, if they could see all of the dead people standing around them trying to get into the fumes or the smoke, even though they can't smell them, but just to be around it, um, they, they would be scared to death. They would never go back to that area again. And, yeah, I mean, it's even, even that way, too, with adult movies. I mean, somebody's at one of those peep shows thinking they've got a private moment. And they've got a whole you know, a whole herd of fan clubs watching the movie with them. So, um, yeah, old, old habits die hard. So I kind of shed some light on that and sometimes why, you know, addiction starts, uh, you know, innocently and and what happens if, if you don't take care of it before you, you know, you cross, before you um, leave your physical body, whether you choose to cross over or not. So anyway, um, how much more time do we have? Right, we can go up to 8 o'clock if you want. Or 20 more minutes if you want. Okay, already. Well, that's good because there, there's some other things that I can tell you too. Okay. Um, so, um, talking about that, I wanted to make mention, I want to I leave on a, a, on a positive note. Um, a lot of the story's been very, very dark. Um, I, I'm thankful for the gifts that I was left with, um, the abilities that I, I was because of being able to see things. So I want to say, for example, uh, when my mother um, had cancer, she stopped the treatments. Um, and for a year, she um, checked off her bucket list. So um, my mother and I, we had an agreement that, you know, when times of stress that she would leave and you can do this, you can do this with your loved ones. They can hear you talking the same as I'm talking to you. Um, they can hear you. So you can even make these arrangements, even though they crossed over. I would ask my, my mom had this beautiful, white, long, wavy hair, like waist length. And I asked her, I said, please, whenever you're present and I'm stressed out and I really want to know that you're there, I said, would you please leave one of your hairs? 
my mom's been dead for seven years. I'm still finding those hairs and I've moved four times. Uh, and, and, and the thing is too, is I had gone to school one day um, and I was stressing because I had, had an exam in school. I had stopped at the school bookstore on the way to the classroom and um, I bought a three ring binder and the loose leaf um, booklet that I was supposed to buy to go in it. So I went straight from the school and got into my car, a car that my mother had never been in. And I drove to my class and when I took the three ring binder out to open it, to put the papers inside of it, inside of that middle ring was looped a white hair like over and over again, like a bow. There is no way. Now I would fight God for my children. I mean, mm -hmm. we would definitely have, have, have a talk. And I swear on my children's lives, what I'm telling you happened. And I, there is no way that that hair could have gotten in between the teeth of that middle binder. So I found comfort because then I knew she was nearby and she was supporting me. But to this day, I'm still finding white hairs. I found one, um, you know, even with, with at Christmas, at, not Christmas, but Thanksgiving time that we just had, I found one across the seat of a chair. Um, people don't, you know, people don't realize that um, when people pass away, you know, some of those things that you, that you say, oh, I wish that they could see this or I wish they could mm -hmm. be here for the wedding. They are there for the wedding. Sometimes they're sitting right next to you if there's an empty seat. They don't they don't like sitting on top of other people. They respect that. Or they sit in like a bleacher-like effect off to the side up to, towards the ceiling. And they don't make themselves overly known because they don't want to take away from the moment. You know, if, and nobody's going to be watching the bride come down the aisle if they're all looking at a bunch of angels up in the corner. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they have certain respect for that and they're, and they're quiet, but they don't miss anything. They... They're playing with your children before they're born into this lifetime. They've met them. They've played with them if they're on the other side. Yeah, they can talk. They can help you find things. Hey, where's my keys? And they just kind of manage to lead you to, to, to the stupid place that you left them. You know, so but then they can do a lot of things. But when my, um, when my mother passed away, um, I was the only one in the room with her. And um, I could see the movement on the other side of the room, I'd see like a leg stick out or an elbow stick out of, of the veil. And so, so I knew that they were preparing and then an opening towards the head of my mom's bed started to open. And my grandmother, my mom's mom walked in. Now my mom had her eyes closed. She wasn't opening them anymore. She was still aware though because when people would come into the room and talk to her she would mouth um mouth oh, 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 and, and her eyebrows would go up and down and it was appropriate um so like they'd say something to her and she would do that and then she'd stop and they'd say something well when my grandmother came in she started stroking the inside of my mother's forearm closest to the bed railing and she leaned forward to my mother and said something in her ear and my mom started doing the up and down eyebrow thing and the mouth movement thing as my grandmother stood away. And then my, she leaned forward again. She did this three times. I see this frantic person waving from behind my grandmother's head. Um, and it was my beautiful sister. My, I had a, a youngest sister that was murdered by a jealous boyfriend when she was 20. He shot her in the head. And um, 
Baptist minister's son too. Um, so anyway, um, I got to see her. She was frantically waving. I could smell her perfume. She wore this unique perfume called Latisse that back in the eighties was kind of popular, but I could smell it. Um, you know, I could see her, she was beaming. Um, and I told my mom at that time, I said, mom, grandma and Robin are here. It's, it's time for you to go. And my mother literally took her last breath within about 10 minutes after that. And um, the thing was, is I was sitting there and I'm noticing now, now the whole, the whole wall now was open. I can see into heaven. I mean, there are colors there that we don't have here. There, that you would need a whole nother um, color. And, um, and the lighting over there, there's not a source of light. It's like it emits from the atmosphere itself, like within oh. itself. So I'm watching and on the side of my mother's bed, I notice multiple people um, huddled around like a football hold next to her bed. And I'm like, you know, what, what, what are they doing? So um, as they started to open up almost like a flower, there was my mom standing in the middle of them. And it was almost like they were trying to stabilize her spiritual feet. And, um, and I'm grinning from ear to ear. I mean, the elation and the feeling, I mean, it was the most satisfying of, of anything that you can imagine on this earth. Um, it's most, I just, oh my gosh, the elation and the love and the joy. So I'm sitting there smiling from ear to ear. I'm watching my mother. She's going up and she's greeting each of these people. Some of them I recognized and knew, some of them I didn't, but she did. So, um, then all of a sudden I look at her physical body and I realize that she has stopped breathing. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, you know, I'm sitting here grinning from ear to ear and my mother has just stopped breathing. If the nurse walks in, she's going to think that I did something mm-hmm. to her, you know, because it's just, it's not a normal response to be sitting there smiling with that. And so um, I called the nurse, the nurse came in, she walked through all of the spirits. They literally lingered in the room for about 20 minutes. And, um, pronounced my mother dead and and I asked if I could stay in the room because I wanted to watch the festivities I mean I'm like oh can I come for the day you know I it looks like fun because I mean they had whole reception uh prepared for her um there was it just you know there was even like this table under this beautiful tree that had almost like a white veilish um tablecloth on it and but there was nothing on it and um, I remember asking my mother, who I communicate with on the other side, uh, I said, Mom, you know, don't don't you ever miss the taste of potato salad or brownies? And she's like, well, here, all we have to do is think about them. And the sensation and flavor comes to us as if we are eating it. She said, because we don't eat food here. And that, of course, explained why there was no food or any preparation on the mm-hmm. fancy table with the white flowing cloth that was in the background of of the other side. And, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching her and she's beaming. She's not suffering. She's beaming. And, and, you know, it helped me not even to grieve the loss because I knew where my mother was, you know, and she, and, and she, you know, she wasn't dead. She was still very much there, you know, and, and where I could see her. And, you know, it's funny too. Um, my mother used to always make the uh, turkey for Thanksgiving. So she passed away in July. So that November came and I had to make the turkey for Thanksgiving. And I can hear my mom's voice as plain as she's 
into the kitchen with me. She says, don't forget to put the aluminum foil on the turkey. Well, I'm like, you know, I want one of those brown turkeys, like the kind they have on TV. So I didn't put the aluminum foil on and found out that the breast got burnt and the legs were still raw. And that's why I needed the aluminum foil. And we ended up having having to have hamburgers that year. But, um, you know, it, it, there are so many things in that book that my mom has communicated from the other side. My father is also there. I have a brother. And of course, my sister is there too. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I have, I have a lot of people and I can ask things on the other side. And I've been able to share some of those things in the book, The Colors of Heaven, Beginnings Never End. And I, again, I hope that it brings a lot of comfort and um, joy for people, um, you know, just the awareness of, of being able to communicate with them and knowing that they're, that they're there, that they're there with you all the time. That's, that's really uh, cool. And again, that one will only be sold through my website as well. That is really cool. You know, when my mother passed, I I wanted to, to go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just getting lipstick off my tooth. Go ahead. <laughs> when my mother passed, I, because uh, I'm a ghost hunter, obviously, you know, and so when, when my mother passed, I went ahead and I bathed her in a scented soap, a certain scented soap that I would recognize. And she's here all the time mm-hmm. because I can smell her. And I'm not the only witness to this. My my friend that was over that particular day witnessed the same thing, you know, that where we could smell her. The day of the funeral, she rode over to my niece's house after her funeral with us in the car. You know, so it's a wonderful thing. Like you say, they're here all the time and it's great. They are. They are. And, you know, and, and people, so many people look at death as such a final, you know, the finality, uh, you know, the, it's that it's so final and it's it's just an extension of, of life you know um some of the things that i've learned from her is that there, a 20 life year span in our lifetime is similar to one day there so i mean when we're down here learning and, and doing whatever we're supposed to be doing it's like we're only gone for four or five days for them up there mm-hmm. so you know um yeah, it's just, I mean, there's so many things that, that, that she that she shared and, you know, talking about the flowers and the plants and how everything, you know, is, is, is alive and you just, you become one with it when you admire it and just so many things that, that she told. But I thought that it was really cool that even though they can't eat um, food, that they can think about it and that that sensation comes to them. So they, wouldn't that be nice that they had that here, you know, that can no calorie counting and you could have whatever you want. So, yeah. I can see my mom. My mom was a diabetic and she loved her sweets. So I can see her there, you know, thinking about all the sweet stuff she loves. Oh, I'm sure. And, and plus some other stuff too, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> anyway, Absolutely. Uh, it just, it, I'm hoping to take the, take the stigma away for, of death for people. Absolutely. Yeah, because people don't understand it, you know. And I knew my mother, like you, I knew my mother was seeing people a long time before she passed. And I remember going, to, you know, to get mm-hmm. her the emergency. And the doctors were always like, has she been hallucinating? <laughs> and as a ghost hunter, again, you know, you're in contact with people. 
all the time like that, you know, that are seeing things. And so I told the doctor, I said, well, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Um, you know, I'm a ghost hunter. And what you think is hallucination, I think is something else. So we're kind of on a fine line here, you know. Yes, yeah. So if people, anybody listening to this, don't run and get the hallucination drugs. Let her, let her, you know, take that time to to talk and ask Uncle Joe where he left his, where he buried the money, or you know, whatever. <laughs> they won't give you lotto numbers, so don't even try that. But you know, you you may get a comment back of something. You know, how many times in life do you say, "Oh, I wish I." I could say one more thing to the person or I wish I could apologize or, you know, I, I regret something that I did. And um, you have that opportunity to then mm-hmm. speak to them and, um, you know, and, and to take it at that time, too. So, yeah, they are very, very much with us. How can people contact you or how can people find you? Um, I, my um, website is www.lynnmonet. Um, I can be reached through there. I still, at this point, answer my own emails. Um, so if you do need to reach out, um, I do some consulting as far as um, clearings uh, and things like that. Um, I do my best to help people. Um, so if you do need to get in touch with me, you can buy my books through my website. It's through GoDaddy and PayPal. So if you don't have PayPal, you can do it through GoDaddy and um, it's secure. And also I wanted to say, um, please be sure to get it through my website because then I can guarantee that you're going to get the book. I've had a lot of people, scammers that have set up pay, that have set up Venmo accounts in my name, that have um, set up even even LinkedIn and they put somebody else's face there, you know, as the owner of uh, Lynn Monet. And I had to go through a lot of red tape, red tape to get that undone. I've had people put their picture over my picture and, and print the books in Australia and East Africa. So, um, I can't guarantee that you will get your book if you purchase it from someone other than me. You purchase it from me, I will guarantee that you will get your book. So again, it's www.lynnmonet.com. The uh, book about death and dying, if you're not into the creepy thing, will be coming out towards the end of the month. And they they are on sale now. They're just on back order. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. And I would love to talk to you later, you know, later in the year so we can t- touch base again and see how, you, see, see how you're doing and stuff. So I would love, I'm going to be writing another book of, about um, um, a townhouse that was haunted. I actually have a picture of the ghost that was pulling women's underpants down during the nighttime while they were sleeping and even awake, they could feel it. So I wanted to, um, you know, delve into that a little, little bit more and, uh, you know, some of the end of some of the creepy things with that and, and what you can do to defend yourself. In each of my books, there's a self-help section in the back. So, um, and you can follow that and, and, and help yourself because you can get taken advantage of very easily by people when you're desperate to have those situations taken care of. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Lynn. Have a good evening. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thanks. I look forward to coming back again. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Okay. All right. I don't know if you guys heard that. I had some audio issues on my end, but I'm good. Anyway, great. Thank you. It was great having her on. I told you she had a scary story to tell, and it is scary. And even here, even earlier in the day, it's scary, you know? And, um, 
I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. We stayed on extra because I really wanted to talk to Lynn. The other thing I wanted to talk tell you guys is um, this show was a dedication show. Uh, my my good friend Tim Yancey passed away last night from cancer, and he had been the first guest we ever had on California Haunts Radio. And um, you know he was on last year with us, and uh, you know. I, I can't say enough about the gentleman. He's a very sweet, he was a very sweet person. So I just want to dedicate this show to Tim Yancey. You see the ticker running across the bottom. Uh, we are a nonprofit paranormal group, and uh, all this comes out of my pocket, the internet stuff. You know, all my mics, everything, and equipment for my team and all that. And, of course, we're looking for donations to uh, keep the show on the air because, you know, we want to keep bringing good guests like this to you. So if you find it in your heart to uh Donate a little bit to us at paypal.me at California Haunts. I really appreciate it because I, I really love bringing shows like this to you guys. Um, hit our YouTube channel up too. To subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. You know, we're always looking for subscribers. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you didn't like the show, share it with five more people. <laughs> we're equal opportunity here, right? Um, check out our website even at www.californiahauntsradio.com. Or even check out our paranormal site at www.californiahaunts.org. Okay? Um, you know, because we got some good stuff on there. Our website has all our archives dating all the way back a year and a half and all that stuff. At Block Talk Radio as well. There's a California Haunts Radio there, too. Uh, we were there for almost 12 years doing stuff. Anyway, again, I want to thank you. Tomorrow we're kind of shifting gears, um, you know, along the line of uh, my friend Tim passing away from cancer. I've known a couple other people, that, you know, just recently that have that's either battling with cancer or have had cancer and are in remission. A gentleman named Chris Wark is going to be with us tomorrow night, and he is a cancer survivor. And he yeah, he had cancer when he was 23. I believe he's in his 40s now, and he um, survived. And he survived by 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 eating right and fitness, and and he has advice for people on how to possibly. I'm not saying he's going to say to beat cancer, but I'm saying you know not 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 every case is the same. But he does have advice for people about uh, how how he beat cancer and, and the possibility that maybe if if you do some of this stuff, you you know you have a loved one or a friend or whatever they could too. So join us tomorrow at six thirty, and uh, we'll see you. Okay, have a good one, you guys. Oh, I mean it's the wrong button, right? Okay, there we go.